as I was sitting down there looking up at the, the youth and several adults that are sitting up in the choir loft, I was thinking of a couple different things. First, I realized that we have successfully worn them out because many of them look very tired this morning. I also thought about how I don't think they really realize that youth camp is actually a farce. It's really just a week-long program to get the youth choir ready for Youth Choir Sunday. I don't think they realize that that's really what's going on here. Uh, But in all seriousness, I also think about how blessed we are as a church to have a group like we have sitting up there today and how blessed we are as a church to be able to have the youth camp program that we do, to have the people at our church here, you sitting out there and some sitting up here, to be able to have something like Youth Camp Sunday, to be able to spend a week together away, several hours, where we play a bunch of crazy games, do silly things, but where we also take very intentional, dedicated time to spend in God's Word, to open it up, and to allow it to speak into our lives, to change our hearts. And I pray that that's what's happened uh, this past week. And so youth camp, if, if you've not personally been involved in that, it really is a, an all-hands-on-deck thing uh, for our church. When I first came here four years ago, I was nothing but impressed to see just how many people were willing to be involved in the different stages of the process. It takes months to get camp ready. It takes dozens and dozens, hundreds of man hours from different people doing different things, people in our church that you will never even know had anything to do with youth camp, played any part in it, and they don't seek the recognition. They don't want that because they're happy to serve. And youth camp is one of those things that our church does that just shows me very clearly that we have a church who is willing to just quietly serve because they know that at the end of the day, the one that they're serving is the Lord. They know that they're being part of the work that he has for them here. It takes tons of volunteers before camp and even during camp. You see some of the adults that are sitting up here with the youth, many of them sacrifice their own vacation time to go and spend with a crazy group, group of teenagers. It takes planning. It takes a lot of financial resources. And so I just want to tell you as a church that I am so thankful and grateful that you put what you do into youth camp so that we can do what we do with these teenagers, so that we can be involved with them, so that we can show them Christ in that way. It's very clear that our church is invested in ministry to teenagers. And not just the ones that we see on a regular basis that are sitting out in the pews. It's very obvious that we care about those who are out in the community because we do everything and anything that we can to say, invite your friends, bring them to come. It doesn't matter who they are, what their background is, what difficulties they might have. We want them to be here because we want them to hear about Christ. We want them to be connected to him. And I don't think we can always see the impact that youth camp has on the life of the teenagers that come. Sometimes the things that they learn and the things that they hear, the things that they read in God's word, they take weeks or months or sometimes even years to actually 
come to fruit. It's the seeds that are planted while we're there, the knowledge that's gained while we're there that takes time to sprout and to grow. And I know that many of you, as we've been communicating and telling you leading up to camp, we ask you to pray that God would prepare the hearts of those that are going to be going. We ask you, we post on Facebook, we share updates, and we say, continue to pray while we're here at camp, right? Pastor Jameson is about to preach a message on the gospel. Pray that they would hear it, that they would respond to it in faith. And now we're asking you to keep praying that what was shared there at camp would continue to impact the lives of these students and the adults that went with them. I just want to share with you how thankful I am for everything that you have done uh, as a church and for everything, those of you adults who are sitting up here, everything that you have done and for you students. I know that there's a lot of things that you have going on in your life, a lot of different things that you probably could have been part of last week, but I'm glad that you chose to go to camp and I hope you had a good time. Most of all, though, I hope that you encountered the Lord in a powerful way. But what I want to do with the time that I have this morning to share with you is I want to share what we went through, what we learned at youth camp. Every year we choose a theme, and we try to be very specific and intentional about what we choose to spend a week really trying to hone in on and learning about from God's Word. And this past year our theme was transformed. It was transformed because as you look at the Scriptures, as you open up God's Word, and as you look through the Bible, this theme of transformation is one that tracks all the way through the story of Scripture, both in God's story and in ours. We see in the very beginning, as many of you know, God created everything out of nothing. I was very tempted to say that, that God transformed nothing into everything, but really that it, there can't be a transformation when there was nothing there at all. God spoke everything into existence and he created all that we know he created the sea the land the stars the fish the birds the animals and the crown of his creation was adam and eve it was humanity you and me created in his image and we know that the famous words at the end of god's acts of creation is that he said it was all very good it was all very good you see, because a perfect and a good God creates perfect and good things, only good things can come from him. Adam and Eve lived in close fellowship with their creator and in perfect harmony with one another. Now, for you and for me, that's really hard to imagine ever being the case. That there, that there could ever be a world with no pain, with no disease, with no sorrow, a world with no disappointments, a world where you never have arguments with your spouse or with your parents, a world where there's no disagreements with your boss or a world without tears. But that is the world that God created. It was absolutely perfect. And so the question is, what happened? <laughs> because that's clearly not the world that we experience. All of those things have come into our lives at some point. And so what happened? Well, the world was transformed. Something happened that transformed the world into what you and I know it to be today. And it's called the fall. 
God, you see, God had instructed Adam and Eve that they were able to eat from all of the trees in the Garden of Eden, but there was one tree that they were not allowed to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. One day, Satan enters the garden. You know the story. He tempts Eve to eat from this tree. Eve falls to that temptation. She gives to her husband so that he might eat some as well. And immediately, their eyes are opened, and their guilt is realized for their sin. Adam and Eve sinned. Sin is any transgression of the law of God. And there are consequences for transgressing God's law. So God came to Adam, asked Adam why he did what he did. What did Adam do? He blamed his wife Eve. And so God went to Eve. And what did Eve do? Very much like her husband, Eve blamed the serpent for tempting her to sin. And we see in that moment a reflection of what we so often do ourselves, don't we? When we fall to temptation, we like to blame other things, people in our life that maybe led us astray, or the circumstances of our life that caused such amounts of stress that we felt like we had nothing else, no other choice to make. But at the end of the day, God, when he goes to the responsible party, he didn't stop at, at Adam, he didn't stop at Eve, he didn't stop at the serpent. All three were part of that rebellion against God, and it's the same for us. Even though there might be other things in our life that lead us into temptation, or the circumstances of difficulty that we encounter, at the end of the day, the person that God goes to to confront us for our sin is us. We have to answer for our own sin. You, as a sinner, have to give an account before God for the rebellion against your good and perfect creator. See, the sin of Adam and Eve transformed God's perfect good world into a place of hardship, brokenness, difficulty, and the scriptures tell us death. Transforms it into a place of death. And while all of us, even as Pastor Tim prayed earlier, have experienced the realities of physical death, losing loved ones and family members, people that we care about, people that we know, people who have been part of our church family. We've all experienced that. We've all seen that. Scripture is very clear that it's not just physical death that we have as a consequence for sin. The consequence for sin is a spiritual death that's outlined very clearly in Scripture. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says that we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead, no life in us. We are separated from God. The consequence of the, the, the spiritual disease of, of spiritual death are many. We outline several of them at youth camp just to, to highlight a few of them. When you are spiritually dead, you're enslaved to your sin, which means that you are in bondage, in chains. It's like sin has a controlling influence in your life, constantly leading you down paths of unrighteousness. It's controlling your actions and your desires. But it's more than being enslaved. It also means that you're depraved, which is just a, a fancy way of saying that your sense of right and wrong is broken. Even when you think, even when you are trying to make the right decision and to do the right thing, 
Sin is still influencing your desires and your heart to where, yeah, sure, you might be doing the wrong thing, but you're doing it for the wrong motives. It's like trying to be guided by a compass that doesn't actually point north. That guiding principle of our life is broken. Scripture says that we are blind. We cannot see the truth about God even when it is staring us right in the face. Maybe you've had a conversation with somebody like that before where you're telling them the truth, you're explaining things as clearly as you ever could, but they're still just staring back at you like it doesn't make any sense what you're saying. That's because they're spiritually blind to the things of God, and they need a miracle to open their eyes to see the truth. That's a symptom of spiritual death. But the last and the worst symptom is that when you are spiritually dead, you are under God's judgment as a sinner. As one who has rebelled against him, you're actually an enemy of God, separated from him, and fully deserving of his wrath. That is the transformative effect of sin on our world. It is horrible. You look around at the world today, all of the problems that you might see on TV or on your social media feed or your friends that text you in the middle of the week let you know things that have happened, all of those things are the result of sin and a broken world that's been transformed by it. It takes what was once a beautiful world full of life and perfection and it transforms it into something like the Frankenstein monster. Hideous, ugly, broken. It might look like it's alive, but it's actually dead inside. There is no real life there. And so clearly, the transformative effects of sin are pretty dark, aren't they? It's not a happy thing to think about. It's not a fun thing to talk about and to study and to look at. But it's important one of the la- it was actually the last night that we were at camp. We always try to do a fun, bigger game at night with the students, you know, to try to celebrate the last night of camp. And uh, we played capture the flag. And so there's a big field down there that the camp uses for paintball. It's it's got a bunch of obstacles down there. And we all went down there. We had glow sticks. We played capture the flag and a few other games. And it was a bunch of fun. It was about 12:30. It was time to go to sleep finally. And so after all the students loaded up on the bus, you know, there's a few of us that stayed down there. Um, it is actually the, the person that was most ready to go to sleep was Pastor Spencer. Uh, he had lost all sense of right and wrong. He was very depraved in that moment. You can ask him about a few of the things that he said and did uh, while he was down there. I won't, I won't share them now. But I'm sure that he can share them with you later. But we were tired. We were ready to go to bed. But as we got done packing up, we just took a moment and we looked up at the sky And the sheer number of stars that you can see in the night sky is at the camp is breathtaking. It's amazing. It it really, they all kind of, you know, that you know, you remember why they call it the Milky Way galaxy, because it just kind of all melds together and it just looks, looks like one big glowing sky full of stars. You can't see that many stars here in Monroe. And the reason you can't see all those stars is because it's too bright outside, even in the middle of the night. The cities that we're close to, the light pollution that exists from that, make it so that you can see the brightest of stars, but you can't see all of the stars. But where we were there, you could look up and you could just 
stand back in awe and wonder and take a good 10 minutes to look at the stars. The reason you're able to see the bright stars is because everything else around you is so black and so dark. And if we don't take the important time to look at the darkness of sin and the brokenness of our world, we will never be able to see the bright star that is in Scripture, the hope that we have. Colossians 2.13 tells us the dark reality of our situation. We are dead in our sins. But the darkness of Colossians 2.13 shows the bright star that is there as well. Let me read the whole verse for you. Colossians 2.13 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. You see, the more dark we understand the night to be, the brighter God's grace and forgiveness shines when we think about just how amazing it is that God can bring the dead to life and that God can take sinners, rebels, enemies of his and bring them back into a place of fellowship with him. That is beautiful and wonderful and it's just like looking up at the night sky and thinking, wow. And we do the same thing when we look at God's forgiveness and mercy and grace. We have to just step back and say, wow. That's wonderful. That's amazing. The bad news for you is that because of your sin, you are spiritually dead, but that does not mean that you're without hope. The hope we have is in our God who raises the dead to life in Jesus Christ. That is the whole purpose that we do youth camp, is to share that message, to say that over and over and over and over and over again, and it never gets old to say that so many times. The price that we owe God for the debt of our sin is his wrath. But God says there cancels that debt. He cancels that debt that we owe by pouring out his wrath on his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he wasn't just experiencing the physical pain of nails through his hands, of scourges whipping his body, of thorns pressed into his head. He wasn't just experiencing the embarrassment, the shame, and the humility of being killed in such an awful way. He was experiencing the wrath of God for the entire world. All people who came before him, all people who came after him, people in this church this morning, people who are still sleeping at home in their beds. All of that wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ. Jesus was the crucified as the payment for sin. The perfect son of God is the only price that could save us. And God in his great love provided exactly what we needed to be saved. He did not withhold his own son. That is how much he loves you. That is how much he loves them. That's how much he loves the world. And we have a message to share with the world of his great love that they need to hear, that they need to know. 
So though we stand as sinners before God, if we look to Jesus in faith, just as at one time Moses was instructed to create a bronze serpent, to put it up on a pole, and instructed Israel that if they were bitten by a poisonous snake, all they had to do was look as an act of faith, believing that there is no, nothing medicinal that's happening when you look up at a bronze serpent on a pole. In the same way, you are called to look to Jesus. If you know that you have sin that you need to be forgiven for, if you know that you stand before God as one who is condemned, who does not deserve his mercy, who does not deserve his love, well, guess what? None of us do. And he tells each and every one of us, look, behold, as John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Look. That's all it is. Look at him. Believe in him. That his sacrifice on the cross is enough for you to be saved from his wrath. That it paid the penalty you deserved. And you will be forgiven. That's the promise that you have. That's the promise that I have. That's the promise that the whole world has. By looking and believing in faith, by living in the power of his resurrection, the scriptures say that we are transformed. There is new life in Christ for those who believe. Scripture says that you are a new creation in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. Something has fundamentally shifted and changed in your life when you believe on Christ. There is no greater transformation than that which was dead coming back to life. But that's exactly what happens when Christ enters your life. And those who have been transformed from the dead to the living are now called to live as those who are no longer dead in their sin. Our theme verse for camp uh, this week was Romans 12, verse 1 through 2. I'm sure that if any of you ask any of the blue shirts sitting up here today to recite it for you, they will know it perfectly, right? Yeah. <laughs> Are you convinced? I don't know. Well, maybe this will jog their memory. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The call for those who live is that they would no longer live like the dead world that is around them. But instead of being conformed to this world, they are to be transformed. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, those who are in Christ are able to live in relation to this world, not in the way that sin has changed it and marred it, but in the way that God designed for us to be in relation to the creation, in relation to one another, and in relation to him. That's how we are to now live. And this transformation, the scriptures say, happens through the renewal of our minds. You know, I think sometimes 
people think that youth camp uh, is special. And it's definitely special. It's, it's new. It's different. It's not your normal everyday week. But I'm convinced that there's not actually anything magical or specifically special about youth camp. There's not something in the water other than probably a whole lot of rust because it tastes really metallic at camp. It's pretty awful. It's not good. There's a lot of sand at camp. It's pretty annoying. Nobody likes it. But there's nothing magical that happens at camp in a teenager's life that all of a sudden just wakes them up that's not available to us here. You see, transformation in your life is exactly what you should expect to happen when you do the things that we do at camp. It's actually pretty normal stuff. It's a lot more intense than what you would do in your normal life, but it's the normal stuff that, quite honestly, Pastor Tim, Pastor Spencer, Pastor Dave, myself, we say on a regular basis. That's what we do at camp. What we do at camp is we, we take the things out of our lives we remove some things from our lives that we know that sometimes probably aren't all that good for us. And we intentionally try to take those things that we know are good for us and we try to put them into our lives. We try to do them and live in them faithfully. That's really all we do. And so we take a week away from overburdened schedules, from endless activities and commitments that we make. And we actually make room in our lives for worship and sitting under faithful preaching, you all don't have a chance to meet our, uh, our camp preacher that was there for us, Pastor Jameson. He's a church planter in a town called Owasso, Michigan. Did a fantastic job. And the students loved him. He did a great job. His whole family came with us. We're very thankful that he came and that we got to know him. But he preached the gospel faithfully from God's word every single night. Every night. We worship together. We sit under faithful preaching. Would you expect anything else but to be transformed when you do that consistently? We tell students that they have to leave their phones at home but bring their Bibles to camp. What would you expect to happen when you do that? Transformation. Instead of spending endless hours scrolling through the latest viral videos, and making your own and posting them and hoping to get famous. We tell the students to spend hours reading their Bibles, memorizing a verse, a new verse of Scripture every single day. When they were at camp, they read through the entire book of John. Four chapters a day, one day had five chapters. And they memorized a new verse every single day. What do you expect to happen in your life if you spend so much dedicated time in the Word of God? Spiritual transformation is exactly what we should expect to happen when we are using the tools that God has given us to renew our minds. The renewed mind is one that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to see the truth that is in God's word and apply it to itself and to begin seeing this broken, marred world that God has created in the light that God has created it and begin living in it and using it to glorify him in the way that it was designed to be. 
Now, listen, don't, don't get me wrong. I've already said youth camp is not a normal environment by any means. There's a lot of really weird things that happen at youth camp, okay? It's not normal to twitch every time you hear a whistle blow. I thought about bringing one today and making them go crazy. It's not normal to clean your room to absolute perfection. None of us do that. It's not normal to endlessly search for a rubber duck in the woods. If you don't know what that's about, I'm sure you'll find out soon. But by taking some of the things that are normal at youth camp, that we make just part of the schedule, part of the everyday, by taking some of those normal things at camp, like reading your Bible, prayer, scripture memory, and worshiping together, if we take those normal things at camp and we actually make them part of the normal part of our lives, if we decide, I'm committed to be here when we gather for worship, if we decide the church is doing a Bible reading plan, I'm going to be committed to stay on that. I'm going to do that together. If you join the prayer chain, that you get the prayer email updates, and you decide to pray every time you see one of those, what do you expect to happen but transformation? To use the means that God has given us in that way. God uses them through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us through the renewal of our minds so that we might know what the will of God is. That's how transformation happens. And that's why I think youth camp is so powerful. Is because we just try to get all these people behind me to a different place and we try to take as much junk out of their lives as we can and we try to fill it with God's word. And we, doing, we do that hopefully and expectantly knowing that God will work through his word. And we pray that he has. That process of transformation continues on and on and on for the rest of our lives. While we remain in this life, we are constantly pressing on towards the goal that we have in Jesus Christ, that goal of Christ-likeness. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The effect of sin have a hold on our world. Our world is forever marred, imperfect, broken, and even those of us who have trusted in Christ, who have new life in Christ, and are now by the power of the Holy Spirit pressing on towards the goal of Christ's likeness, living in the way that God has called us to live, seeking to please him, not to earn salvation, but because we already have earned that salvation. We are still dealing with the effects of a fallen and a broken world, but we press on, and we're waiting until the day when God will finally and fully finish the transformation that he started. We have the promise that one day God will completely renew this broken world so that everything is put back right as it should be, so that all of the effects of sin are gone, so that bad bosses no longer exist, 
so that sibling rivalries are gone, so that disagreements with your spouse are a thing of the past, and a renewed relationship with God is there once again. And we can live in harmony with one another and with Him, and we look forward to that day when that transformation is complete. You see, we do not live as those who have no hope. Whatever situation may come, whether it's a family member passing away or a disease that we've been diagnosed with that completely changes our life, all of that will be gone. When that happens to us, we don't lose hope because we don't see the world as it is now, as all that there is, we know that there is a day coming when it will be made right. And so when those things happen to us, when the bad things come, or even sometimes when the good things come, it's obvious to everyone around us, our world isn't crushed. Our hope is not gone. We don't ever feel like we've actually arrived here on this place, but we are constantly and always looking forward to something else, looking forward to the day that is to come because that is where our hope is. That is where we will have true freedom. That is where we know that the tears will no longer be in our eyes. That is where we know that all the diseases will be healed. That is where we know that all of our relationships will be mended. That is where we know we will no longer struggle with sin in our own hearts. We look forward to that day. And I hope that you join with me as we pray that that day would come quickly. We long for that, don't we? We want it to be here. If you would pray with me, I'm gonna go ahead and ask that the men who are gonna be serving the Lord's Supper, if they would begin making their way towards the front to serve that to us. But join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for everything that you've done this week, and we pray that you would ingrain it into our hearts. Help us look forward to that day when we will be finally and fully transformed. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. The Lord's Supper uh, that we're celebrating today is very fitting, uh, considering even that it's Youth Camp Sunday. It seems strange at first that we would be celebrating the Lord's Supper on a day like this where we have the youth sitting up in their t-shirts, but honestly, the Lord's Supper is a reminder to us of many of the things that we learned at camp this week. It reminds us to look back and to see what Christ has done for us to transform us, to take us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, and it's also a reminder to us of what is coming in the future, of how we look forward to the wedding supper of the Lamb, where we will be sharing this meal face-to-face with Christ and with our Father. The Lord's Supper is a meal for those who have put their faith in Christ and have followed through with believers' baptism and obedience to Christ's command. And so if you have come to a place where you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, you've been baptized, then join us. But if that hasn't happened yet, if you've not come to that place, I would just humbly ask that you let the plate pass by you today. But if you do see the need for Christ in your life, and the desire to be baptized, my hope is that you will not leave this place today without talking to myself, to Pastor Tim, Pastor Spencer, Pastor Dave, 
or somebody else that you trust, about what it would look like for you to trust in Christ, we would love to help you with that decision.